0: morning everyone hope everyone's having a good morning um we are thank you uh these shoes were a gift from joseph bomar they are pf flyers i don't know if you've ever seen sandlot but it's the shoes he ran he used to run faster jump higher and other things like that um so i'm excited to wear them but uh i didn't even know they were real shoes until this year so that's pretty awesome We're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 12 today. Um, So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And today, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit of this idea. Um, See, as you go through the Bible verse by verse, which is primarily what we do here at the Grove, you get into topics that are a little out of season. So today, really, we're going to be talking a little bit about Christmas and Easter together, uh, which is good because you really can't celebrate Christmas, which is coming up, uh, until you understand Easter because Christmas isn't good news until you understand Easter, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to read a story or a parable or, um, an allegory that Jesus tells. Uh, this is the second of six controversial, uh, conversations that Jesus has with the religious leaders of his day in a row. Uh, last week we, they, they challenged Jesus's authority, And this week, he's going to immediately begin to speak about a parable that's going to lead to them really making serious plans about his death. And so we'll get there in a second, but a couple things I wanted to say, uh, and I appreciate Adam doing the announcements, um, but as we go through uh, the rest of the year, our plan is, uh, is on November 5th to start this sermon series by design. And so, number, so we'll take a break from Mark and we'll start a four-week sermon series about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman because God designed us, man and woman, equal but different. Equal, but different. And so we have, diff- we have different uh, leanings. And I have a, a boy and a girl as kids, and I can tell you that they are different. They like different things, and they like to do different things. I never had to walk into a room and, and catch Eliam putting lipstick on, but I do that with Salome all the time. I wouldn't be concerned if I caught Eliam doing that because um, lipstick is much more colorful than chapstick, so I wouldn't blame them for doing that, but they're just different people. And so we're gonna talk about what God's design is for a man, and a husband and a father and what God's design is for a woman, a wife, a mother, and a friend. Um, and so I'm excited about that. I think our world gives us so many options about what a man and a woman is. Um, it can get confusing. It can be like, I don't know, a man's supposed to like wear plaid and cut down trees or or it's okay and go fishing all the time. And, and that's what a man's supposed to be. So if I don't like fishing, I must not be a man. Uh, a woman's supposed to stay at home and do these things. So the world tells us all these things, or even sometimes Christianity erroneously tells us all these things. Um, so we're gonna to go to the Bible and see what, is, what was God's design and plan for man and woman. So that's gonna take us four weeks. That's gonna take us right into Advent. And so after By Design, we'll start another four-week series uh, leading, into Advent, leading into Advent, leading into Christmas. And so we'll celebrate the hope that is Christ. Uh, uh, and we'll continue on the theme of Mark through Advent, this idea that a king has come to rescue, to save, to lead his people. So we're gonna talk about that king being born for four weeks and how that hope and that light of the world has come in. And so that'll lead us to the new year and then we'll kind of kick back into Mark after that. So we only have a a few more uh, sermons in Mark until we take about an eight week break and then we'll come back to Mark. So I'm excited about that, but today we're talking about a story of both Christmas and Easter. We're talking about a story that has God's great love for us and his wrath towards people as well. So it'll take some explaining, so if you could track with us, that'd be fantastic. So Mark chapter 12, we're going to read verses 1 through 12 together. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed, he had still one another, one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parables against them. So they left him and went away. So immediately after these religious leaders challenged the authority of Jesus Jesus tells this parable about about how a man planted a vineyard and this man gave all these wonderful gifts to this vineyard. In fact, what Jesus is really talking about, I don't have it on the screen, but in Isaiah chapter 5, Jesus is really um, telling a story from Isaiah chapter 5. So I'm going to read it because um, Jesus is is just straight up talking, quoting Isaiah. So Isaiah chapter 5 Starting in verse one, it says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones, and he planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me in my vineyard what more was there for me to in my, what more was there to do for my vineyard that i have not done in, in it when i looked for it to yield grapes why did it yield wild grapes and now i tell you what i will do to my vineyard i will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured i will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down i will make it a waste it shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up I will also command the clouds that they rain, that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. And so Jesus is is kind of hearkening back to this idea of Isaiah. And what the story here is that a man planted a vineyard and he he did so much for the vineyard. He put a hedge around it that we read later. He put a wall around it to protect it. He, he cleared all the stones. He dug, he built a watchtower to watch over the vineyard. He built a, a wine press to make great wine. And when he looked for the vineyard to produce grapes, it only produced wild grapes. And, and really it's better translated to, to rotten grapes. It was, it was grapes that kind of just grew on their own and they, they weren't very good. They weren't taken care of. They just grew on their own. So Jesus telling this story about how a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, dug a pit, a wine press, built a tower, and he leased it to tenants. Some of the religious leaders surely thought of Isaiah when they read this. Surely they thought of Isaiah. so really what Jesus is saying here first is about God's great love, that he's planted a vineyard and that he's, he's protected it. He's cleared all the stones out from it so that it could be fertile and could grow. And he built a watchtower to look over. He built a fence around it and a wall around it and a hedge of protection around it. He did these things because of his love. And man, was he patient when he sent faithful messenger after faithful messenger to go collect what was rightfully his. And this, and what Jesus is t- talking about here is the prophets. And so in the Old Testament, Jesus God sent prophet after prophet, messenger after messenger, faithful messengers, faithful men of God to proclaim the the, the news that the kingdom of heaven is coming, that we should repent, we should turn back to God. And what did they do to those? Well, they rejected them. Jeremiah was a prophet. He was beaten and put in stocks. Tradition holds that Isaiah was sawn in two. Zechariah, the prophet, was stoned in the temple. And John the Baptist, more recent news for Jesus' story here, was beheaded because of a teenage girl wanted his head on a platter. And this is what they did to the men of God, the prophets of God, and so they rejected them one after the other. But God continued to send them because of his great love for them, because of his patience for his people, because of how much he wants what is rightfully his. And what is rightfully his is his people. His people. There's a story about uh, these, these, these missionaries, they, they heard of this island in the Atlantic, this, this Caribbean island that, had, um, that, had, that was an island that had one owner, and, and all, all the inhabitants of the island were just slaves. They were slaves. So it was one owner and, and all his slaves. And this guy was making a lot of money, and he, he didn't let any missionaries come on that island. So these two young men heard about it, and they heard that there was an island where there was a lot of people who would never hear about Jesus because of a cruel slave owner. So they decided to sell themselves into slavery as Christians so they could go preach the gospel as slaves on this island for the rest of their life. This wasn't a short-term mission trip. This wasn't us paying some money, raising some funds so we can go on a short-term mission trip to Africa. They were selling themselves for the rest of their lives into slavery because they heard of a people group who would never hear about Christ because of a cruel slave owner. And and the story goes that they're they're on the, the, the boats taking out of the harbor and they're at the back of the boat and all the people have, have gathered, all their friends and family gathered to say goodbye. And what they said from the boat has become the call and the, the, the line for all Moravian missions. I don't know if you've ever heard of Moravian missions, but that's a, a, a group in the world that does missions. And, and it is, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain, receive the reward for his suffering. See, God has been so patient to receive his reward, which is his people. Um, Hebrews talks about for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, that he didn't count uh, leaving his throne and leaving heaven as as anything less than gaining what he ultimately wanted, which was his people. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. He's been patient, long-suffering, kind. He's given good gifts. He gave his people a vineyard, protected it for so many, so many years, and sent messenger after messenger. And just like the nation of Israel and Judah, both you and me have resisted his wooing. And we've taken all the good things that he's given us, and we've made them God things, which is to make them bad things. And in our rebellion, we have said, this is ours. What you've given us is ours. And we do that with so many things. God gives us so many good gifts. God, for, for the men here, God gives us, a lot of us, wives. And we have, we have a wife. And that's a good thing to have a wife. But we make our wife a God thing. We make our wife the, the, the thing that's going to give us hope, the, the, the person who's going to give us everything we need. If, if my wife would just do this differently, then I would be happy. If my wife would, would love me, be kind to me, speak life into me, then I'd be okay. We say things like that or we think things like that and we've made our wife an idol. We've, we've taken this good thing that God has given us and we said, this is my God this is where I'm gonna get everything that I'm supposed to get from Jesus alone. I'm gonna get it from my wife. We do that, wives do that with husbands. We do that with jobs. We say, man, if I could just get this job, then I'd be happy. Anything you think to yourself, if only I could have this, then everything would be okay. If I could get that raise I was promised, then everything would be okay. If I can get that house that we need, then everything would be fine. Anything that we say that we need this for things to be okay is, is when we take a gift of God, a watchtower, a fence, and we've made it our idol, made it this thing that we want. We're gonna reject Christ and his affirmation. We're gonna reject Christ and his love, and we're going to keep this good gift that God has given us. In our rebellion, both you and I have said, this is ours. I want the gift instead of the giver. Now, some of us do that way more often than others. Some of us struggle with that as Christians, that, man, there's times where I look to food, for comfort, instead of God for comfort. And, the, and here's the problem. We talk about idols all the time here, because I think idol worship is the biggest problem in, uh, in our lives. I and mean, that's where like everything comes down to, all our sins really comes down to, we're worshiping something that we ought not to worship. Lust comes down to, we're worshiping uh, gratification, um, being gratified, we're, we're, uh, we're worshiping um, affirmation. Uh, when it comes to, to marital struggles, oftentimes that's just a worship issue. You're expecting your wife to do things for you that only God can do. You're expecting your husband to do things for you that only God can do. And so we have this idol worship problem. And when it comes down to it, we take these good gifts of God and we make them God. But the problem is is that they work for a while. I said this so many times, but, but a hard day at work, you come home and you open up that bluebell and you get some ice cream, like that works for a while, doesn't it? Like that feels good. Like, it, man, it's tasty. It is so tasty and it works. You have a hard day at work and you open up a few beers and man, like your troubles seem to go away for a period of time. And these things work, but they dry up. But God in Christ has given us living water that never dries up, but we reject that for the things that he gives. Just like Israel and Judah but then he had one thing left. He had his only son. And this is where the idea of Christmas comes in. Because God, the, the, the owner of the vineyard had one thing left. He sent all his servants and they all died. And so he had his only son. He said, surely they'll, they'll, they'll take my son. So he sends his son and they say, man, if we just kill this, then every, if we kill him, then everything we want will be ours. Everything we want will be ours. And so they kill the son, they throw him out of the vineyard, which is probably an allusion to crucifying Jesus outside of Jerusalem on the hill of Golgotha. And then verse 9, we read, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. We read about the severity of God, that that God doesn't take the rejection of his son lightly. And this is the bad news of the Bible, is that rejecting God's son is to reject God and to reject God is met with severe punishment and judgment. The good news is, is that God is long-suffering. The good news is, is that God is patient and he's kind and he loves us that he wishes that no one would perish, that all men would repent. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 11, he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Knowing that the judgment is fierce, knowing that the punishment is severe, we, we pr- persuade others of the gospel. We preach the gospel. We, we try and bring as many people into the kingdom as possible. I don't know who God's chosen, but I know I preach the gospel to everyone and the Holy Spirit does the work. And that's, that's the, the call of Christians who know that the punishment is severe. Our response to God's son makes a difference in eternity. Then he continues in verse 10 and 11. He says, he quotes Psalm 118, verses two and three. And he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is the center of everything. He's the center of the entrance into God's presence. We've talked about this a lot lately because Jesus is making this a theme that through him you get to God. But if you've seen him, you've seen God, and he, he's the center of the in- entrance, and Israel's going to reject him, and God's going to give the vineyard over to others. But he is the center of the entrance into God's presence. Everything else is centered around Jesus. Everything in this world is centered around Jesus. Every, Colossians tells us that everything was made for him and made through him and made by him, that everything's about Jesus. And we believe that here at the Grove, that it's all about Christ. He is the cornerstone. That cornerstone's this idea that you can't build a, you can't build a building from the from the center or from the side. You have to start in the corner, and you build out from the corner to make a square building. Uh, I mean, it's, it's really unclear if he meant cornerstone, because the word here in Greek, uh, even in Psalms, could mean cornerstone, capstone, or keystone. But all things work. Cornerstone is, is the first stone you lay at the foundation of a house. A keystone is, is when you build an archway, which there was tons of archways in the temple that Jesus was at when he's telling the story. A keystone is that stone in the middle of the archway that the arch leans against. And that keystone wasn't there, the whole arch would crumble. And so it's center to the entrance, And the capstone is on a pillar, that stone at the top, that the pillar holds up. And that capstone distributes the weight evenly so that nothing crumbles. That no matter what was meant here, whether it was cornerstone, keystone, or capstone, that Jesus is the sinner. Jesus is God. And he's rejected. But the stone that was rejected has become the cornerstone. And Jesus, the most authentic, the most eloquent speaker of all time, he shares the gospel in this, par- in this parable. And how is it met? What reaction is it met with? They didn't, they didn't stop. Um, the reaction that was met with was that they didn't do anything right then, but they went away to, to plan how to arrest him and kill him. They wanted to arrest him right then, but they feared the people because they knew that Jesus was telling the people about them that they were the tenants. The religious leaders are the tenants and they were not producing good fruit in the vineyard that is Israel. But Jesus continued to preach the gospel knowing that it would end his death because the stakes are too high and the stakes are just as high today. People all around us don't know Christ. They don't enjoy Christ. And so we have this call to evangelism. We have this call to preach the gospel. And so um, when I was, I I became a Christian in high school, I told this story before, but I became a Christian in high school, or I'm sorry, middle school. I started kind of going to church. What happened was, and I think it was God's providence, thankfully, is that all the bus drivers in my county in California, they went on strike. So we couldn't ride buses anymore. Which puts, which puts a big strain on parents who go to work early, right? So we had to carpool. So I was carpooling with this guy named Marcus Perry. And Marcus Perry is a Christian. He went to, he went to First Baptist Church of Jackson, California. Um, and uh, so I had to, on Tuesdays, I had to ride home with Marcus. But the problem is Marcus didn't go home on Tuesdays. He went to youth group. So I started going to youth group for the first time in my life in middle school. Uh, and I praise God that these bus drivers wanted more money uh, because that meant I got to go to youth group and I wouldn't have gone otherwise. So I'm going to youth group, and, and they, they teach us this thing called Evangelism Explosion. You might have heard of it. Uh, it's, it was big in, in, in Baptist churches in like the 80s and 90s. And, and and what it was, was we went from door to door in California, knocking on doors, and we would say, someone answer the door, and I'm a middle school kid saying, um, I didn't even know if I believed this, but I'd be like, uh, so if you were to die tonight, and Jesus was, in, and he was like, uh, why should I let you in my heaven? What would you say? And that was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life because I'm walking to people. My opening line is about them dying. Like I was afraid they were gonna just think I was threatening them and be like, no, no one's dying, not, no one's dying here tonight, buddy, unless it's you. And I was, I was frightened about doing this. And that, that was the way evangelism was done growing up in my town. So we'd go door to door. You, if no one answered, you left like a little Bible track on the door handle. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think that's a good way to do it. Um, I don't think, uh, I don't, first of all, I don't think that question is going to be asked when you get to heaven. I don't see that in the Bible. Um, I think the good news of Jesus Christ doesn't start with death, but it starts in the Garden of Eden and how we were once created and, and uh, we had communion with God and we were in God's presence and that has been broken because of our sin and, and God's provided a way back to that. Back to that. And, and, and that way back lasts longer than death on this earth, but that way back lasts forever. And we get to be in God's presence forever if we trust and repent of our sins and trust in Jesus Christ. And so I think evangelism, uh, my generation has kind of said, okay, that style of evangelism is a little crazy. It's a little confrontational. And if we don't see Christ doing that, and so we get away from that. And the problem is, is that we never replaced it with anything else. So what we have today is we have a bunch of young people who don't know how to talk about Jesus. We have a lot of young people who don't know what to say about Christ. And, and, and I'm partly to blame is that I've said, that's silly. We're not going to do that here. We're not going to go door to door telling people they're going to die. We're never replaced with anything else. So a few weeks ago, I wrote a blog post called Stop Inviting People to Church. Um, and for the record, I think it's great to invite people to church. I just don't think that should be our only form of evangelism. So, I, so I I stole some uh, an acronym from from a church in Canada, and reworded a lot of things and kind of just made it our own. Um, and that acronym is Bless. And so I want to introduce this to you guys as a way to evangelize, as a way to tell people about Jesus, because the stakes are just as high as Jesus as Jesus taught us in verse nine. He says. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. See, God's a perfect God and he can't let sin continue because he loves us too much. And so we have to be telling people about Jesus. We have to be telling people about Christ. And the thing is, in our area, everyone knows about Jesus. We've, been, we've saturated uh, our area with a form of Jesus that um, in the Bible Belt, and we've started this thing called the sinner's prayer. And, and we tell people, hey, if you just repeat after me, then that means you're saved. And the reality is that sounds a little bit more like witchcraft in the Bible. Um, the witchcraft is this idea that if you repeat this incantation, some, God's gonna, some, something's gonna happen. Uh, I just don't see that in the Bible. The Bible says to have faith and repent. And it's really as simple as that. And it's as complex as that, that if you just put your trust in Christ and you turn away from your sins and turn towards him, which is better than any sin behind you, then you will be saved. And so I want us to get away from some of these, um, these things when it comes to evangelism. Um, and I want to start with bless. And bless, the B, isn't super creative. Uh, it's begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. Evangelism, us talking about Jesus, starts with prayer. And the questions to ask you is, 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 is who do you live next to? Who do you live with? Who do you work with? And who do you play with that is far from God? And when we say far from God in our area, I'm talking about people who don't enjoy Jesus. Because everyone knows about Jesus. Almost everyone's prayed the sinner's prayer in VBS because someone scared the hell out of them, and they decided they wanted to go to heaven instead of hell. And so they prayed this prayer. But they're not enjoying Jesus. They don't enjoy Christ. They don't enjoy His presence, which is scary for me because that's all heaven is. Is being in the presence of Christ, right? So like, I'm not sure a lot of people who would think that they're saved would actually enjoy heaven that much because they don't enjoy that on earth. They don't enjoy worshiping on earth. They don't enjoy God's presence on earth. So who do you live with? Who do you work with? Who do you play with that's far from God and pray to God that he would create spiritual curiosity in them and then spend time with them you can ask yourself questions about your area. Where does pain exist in our community? And you pray for that place or those places. Who makes decisions in our community? Pray for those people. Where do people gather in our area? Right now it's football games on Friday night. Pray for that community. Where do people spend money in your area? Pray for provision, pray for those people. So it begins in prayer. We have to have a heart for our community and a heart for people around us because enjoying Christ is that important. That's B, begin with prayer. L of bless is listen. The idea is that you're going to listen to and discover the needs of others and the places where God is at work. Before you can invite others to Jesus, before you can invite them into your lives, you need to listen to them first. Listen to their hopes, their pains, their fears. You need to listen Listen to their challenges, their dreams. So I just challenge you guys here, in your interactions going forward with other people, be a learner. Be slow to talk about yourself. And just listen to people. Ask questions. Get to know someone without the intention to talk about yourself. There's, there's this time where I, I came back, I, I spent... Uh, six months in Israel as part of part of Bible college, and I came home, and and Margie's parents threw this party for me, uh, which was like I was the only person I knew there, and um, so there's just all these random people. This one guy came up to me, he's like, I heard you were in Israel, and so I was like, man, I'm gonna have a cool conversation with someone, and so he's like, tell me about Israel, and I got like half a sentence into talking about Israel, and he's like, I went there once too, and then he just rambled on for like the next 30 minutes. And so I realized, I think people do this all the time. I know I do this. It was the first moment I realized that I might ask people questions only to talk about myself. Like all he wanted to do was talk about his trip to Israel. So he opened up with, hey, tell me about your trip with Israel. And half a sentence in, he started talking about his trip. Um, And I started thinking about my life. Like, man, I do that all the time. I ask people like, hey, tell me about, you know, uh, the, the race you did or tell me about this, tell me about that. And then I only do that in order to talk about myself. So I want to challenge people get to know someone else without the intention of talking about yourself. Ask them questions. Don't talk about yourself unless they ask. Don't assume that you know people. Just practice being present and listening. So that's B, begin with prayer. L, listen. E stands for eat. I really like this one because I love eating and I love food. I think God created a lot of good food and we should enjoy it. But eat is that I will share meals with and spend time with the people in my life. Something about eating is just sacred. Something about eating opens people up to conversations. It's, it's the best way to take an acquaintance and put them on the fast track to friend is eating, sharing a meal, eating food. So think about who can I eat with or have coffee with that's far from God. Is it a coworker at lunch? Is it a neighbor over the weekend? Is it another family at the park? Is there a place that you regularly visit? Whether it's a coffee shop, whether it's DT's or Fox and the Fig or a specific restaurant you visit all the time. Ask God to give you opportunities to eat with people, to get to know people over a meal. And then the first S is serve. As you listen, as you eat and enjoy meals with other people, you have to think of ways. How can you serve them? What are their needs? What needs are they talking about? As you listen, people are going to bring up needs. They're going to say, hey, uh, the single mom's going to say, hey, my trash is piling up and, and I just don't know what to do. And that's an awesome opportunity to go get their trash. And take it to the dump for them. Practical ways that you can serve people. And if you can't think of any ways, I think the simple question of how can I help you? Is there anything that you need? Oftentimes returns great results. As you pray for someone, you're going to realize that a lot of the times you can be their answer to prayer that you can do something that answers what their what they're need in prayer. And then lastly, story. So it's begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and story. Share your story. The idea is that you will share the story of Jesus and what he's doing in your life with others. At some point, we have to talk about Jesus. As much as I'm not for the confrontational door knocking, if you're gonna die tonight thing, I also don't want to swing the pendulum too far over where you just become friends with people and expect them to fall in love with Jesus because you don't cuss and you tip well. Like, that's not going to happen. No one's going to be like, hey, I've noticed that you tip well at this restaurant that we just ate at and you don't cuss. Can you tell me more about Jesus, please? Like That's just not how this thing works. And so at some point, you're going to have to talk about Jesus. At some point, you are going to have to talk about yourself and your story. No one's gonna come to a saving faith in Christ because you were a pretty nice person. But they might listen to your story. And here's the thing about stories is that your story is the one thing no one can call you a liar about. Your story is the one thing no one can refute. They can refute whether the Bible's real or not. They can refute whether this is what God calls us to or not, but they can't refute your story. They can't say you're wrong about your story. If you can tell someone what Jesus has done in your life and how you've become to enjoy him more and, and how he's helped your marriage or helped you parent or, or whatever Christ has done in your life. If you can share that story, no one can say you're a liar because it's your story. And don't feel like you have to share your entire story at once. You can use bite-sized chunks and share what God is doing in your life with people. So blessed is just an easy, easy way to begin to be serious about making disciples disciples make disciples and the and and the the stakes are too high just with Israel and Judah God has made a vineyard God's given the church a vineyard He's given us a mission and he's given us good gifts and he's given us great things and let's not take those things for granted or make those things idols and let's share with people the good news of Christ because the alternative is too severe So what is this? How, does this how, do, how do you start something like this? I think it's daily. Every day, I think we need to look for and ask for opportunities to bless others. We have to ask God, God, how can I bless someone today? God, how can I be there for someone else today? And then weekly, I think it'd be cool if people in the church just decided they're gonna ask one another weekly, like, hey, who have you blessed this week? Who have you, who have you prayed for this week? And just hold each other accountable because this is that serious that we have to go talk about Christ with others It's the most important thing us as Christians hold as true. And we should talk about it. I'm a huge C.S. Lewis fan. uh, And in his book, The Last Battle, Queen Lucy tells Lord Diggory um, that uh, in our world too, a stable once had the biggest and most wonderful thing in the world. I think we can add to that, the idea that Jesus Christ in that stable was the biggest and most wonderful thing in the whole world. In our world, there was also a cross and hanging on it was someone greater and more wonderful than our whole world. And see, in this story, Christmas and Easter meet and Christmas and Easter collide. And it's really just one story. That God is patient, he's loving, he's kind. And he sent his son to tell us there's a way to him. Tell us that he's the cornerstone, that he's the way to God. And we can reject that Or we can repent and put our faith in Christ and and enjoy something much better than anything on this earth, enjoy someone much better than anyone on this earth. The story is worth telling people. Don't keep it to yourself. So many of you you guys here, you girls here, have come to enjoy Christ in a way that maybe you didn't think was possible. Maybe you didn't think existed. My prayer is that more people would begin to enjoy Christ, begin to enjoy Jesus in a way that they've never enjoyed before. They wouldn't come to him because they're afraid of hell, but they'd come to him because they want him. Not for his gifts, but for him. And that's my prayer for this community. And I pray that our vineyard would produce good fruit and good fruit in abundance. And so I'll close um, and and, and then we'll sing a couple songs together. Feel free to stand, sit, sing, not sing if you don't know the songs. Um, But we'll, we'll sing together and then I'll come up and pray. But, As we sing, just be thinking about who can you bless? Or even what idols maybe you have in your life? What things are you holding on to that you you would beat the tenants over if they tried to take from you? What things are you holding on to? And how can you bless others this week? How could you intentionally begin to pray for someone who's far from God, who's not enjoying Christ? How can you listen to them and share a meal with them, serve them, and share your story with them. It doesn't have to be all in one week, but begin thinking about that. Who I think as we talk about this, you're gonna, you're gonna see names in your mind. You're gonna hear names. You're gonna, man, there's this person. There's that person I could talk to. There's this person who needs Christ. I pray that you wouldn't, you wouldn't push that down and try and keep that away because it's scary. You don't know what to do, you don't wanna do, but just begin, start with prayer. Just start praying that God would give you opportunities, give you the words to say or the words not to say as you listen. And we start there. So we'll sing. Uh, and then I'll come back up and pray. Before I pray, uh, two last things. Uh, this idea of praying for people who are far from God or uh, don't enjoy Him is, is is real. I prayed for, and it, and it could take a long time. I prayed for my mom and dad for 13 years. Um, they're uh, a couple who would say that they, were Christians, but they didn't enjoy Christ. They didn't go to church. They didn't really enjoy being with him, but they definitely believed he was real. Uh, and so for 13 years, I prayed that they would come to enjoy him. And then one day, about a year ago, I got a call from my mom and she just said, i am sure the story before, but she just said, Zach, would you pray for me? Because um, I just feel like you have so much purpose and hope and I want that. And I said, Mom, I can pray for you that you would find out what your purpose is, or I could just tell you, because the Bible is clear on what your purpose is. It's to love and to enjoy Christ, and uh, to go to a, submit to a church, to serve at a church, um, and to make much of his name with all the days of your life. And um, So the next Sunday, she started going to the same church that I grew up uh, as from middle school on, uh, Calvary Chapel of Amador. I didn't end up going to Marcus's church, which is fine. Uh, but I went to Calvary Chapel of Amador. They started going there. They've been going there ever since for the last year or so, um, and it's been just amazing. And it was 13 years of prayer, 13 years of really awkward conversations. Um, but man, I'm so thankful that God's good, that God's patient, and He He sends messenger after messenger, and He sends His Son. To tell us there's a way. So I want to say that. And the last thing I want to say: If there's someone here, anyone here who who um, maybe doesn 't enjoy Christ like they ought or doesn't uh, they 're far from God and they don't they want to uh really just enjoy him my, my my prayer is that you would uh just come talk to someone come talk to someone, and share that uh that desire that you want to know him that you want to enjoy him uh and because man like that's something we can walk through you with um, as Adam said, November 5th, we're going to have a lunch after church, kind of talking about that, how to get plugged in, how to serve, how to get to know him more, uh, and to know each other more. So we'll have that. But let me pray for us, uh, and then you guys can, are free to go. Father, I come before you, Lord, just, just thankful for your word, Lord, as we read it. Um, we, you're telling us more and more about yourself, Lord, that you are patient, that you send messenger after messenger in your great love, that you give all these good gifts, Lord, that we need to be careful not to worship the gifts instead of the giver. And so I pray, Lord, that as we enjoy your gifts, as we enjoy food, as we enjoy uh, sex and drink and, and, and our wives and our husbands, Lord, that we wouldn't worship those things or expect those things to fulfill us or to complete us, but we would only look to you for those things. We wouldn't reject the messengers. We wouldn't reject the son, but we would accept them, Lord, and turn to you and follow you and enjoy you and enjoy your gifts because you are the great giver. You're the father who gives his children's great gifts, Lord. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that uh, we would take seriously this call to make much of your name and to, to bless others, God, that this, even right now, Lord, as you put names in our hearts or in our minds, Lord, that we would be serious about just starting to pray for those people, and we just spent a whole week just praying daily, God, just create a curiosity in them, Lord. Uh, give me an opportunity to talk to them, to share with them. Uh, and, I, and I believe that you will, God, if we are if if we faithful and do that, God. So I pray that you would remind us daily, Um, to pursue these people that you're laying on our hearts, God, people around us, Father. I love you, God, and I'm thankful for all that you're doing. I pray that you would bless the people in this room, at this church this morning, Lord, Um, and those who couldn't make it this morning, you would bless them and be with them this week, and that you would prepare good works for them to walk in, Lord, the rest of the week. That They would love you, make much of your name, and enjoy you immensely. I thank you, and I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys.